And how do residuals play a part in all of that? It depends. Uh, residuals are really difficult when you're doing stuff online. Um, uh, what they do is they give you all your money like in a, in a lump sum. Hmm. Unless you're working, unless it's something that's national, um, I think that's a good place. So more to, like a buyout then. Yeah, they do the buyout and, uh, and you just sign the contract and you get a big chunk of cash and you, and you go your own way. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you have an agent and it's one of those really big um, deals, if it's like a big uh, commercial, like American Express or something like that, I think you may have a better shot of, of working something out if it ends up going national. Mm-hmm. But for stuff that's online, they, they pretty much just do buyouts. They yeah. do buyouts. Or if you're a big name, you know, yeah. we probably do something different with that too. Totally. Uh, what do you enjoy most about creating content? Oh man, going into my head, you know, going into my head and um, checking out. <laughs> uh, I think the first time my wife saw me work, she was probably rethinking the, the relationship. <laughs> I'm in love that I'm working working out a character and I, and I talk, you know, I get up and I read my lines. I like to hear the lines. I like to hear what the characters are saying and, and I go to work. And um, if somebody is a fly on the wall, it's not something they need to hear because hmm. uh, this is what's going on in my head at the time. You know, I need to move around. Uh, I love that part, you know, developing my characters. Cause uh, the crazy thing about my life is my characters are always someone that I've met down the road in my life. So I draw on the characteristics from certain people that I met that were kind of outrageous. You know, you when I was in New York, I did a lot of character study because on the weekends, all I did was ride the subway. And I was an observer of life. You know, people probably thought I was kind of strange, but I would sketch some of the individuals that were on the train and I would write down some of the crazy and ironic things they would say. And, you know, years and years later, that, that study, and, you know, I have these notebooks with, with sketches and these interesting people. Those people make it into my stories. And I just build new characters, you know, and, and, and develop them. And, um, and I go, I said, I, I build all those characters from people that I've actually met, you know. And um, I realize now that the worst thing to write about is stuff that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you have life experience, you can actually, when I think about the characters, I go, oh, I got somebody perfect for that. You know, then I'll sit down and develop them and develop all of their quirks and um it's fun it's the only time you get to do that because after that you've created these entities and now you get to see them work you get to read watch actors reading the lines and that's the real fun for me is when someone's reading the script and they're getting the emotional journey that you're creating as the writer you're just like oh this is where it works you mm-hmm. you know it works because you feel it when you're doing it but it it means a whole lot more when a professional's reading your stuff and they're really getting the food they need to get through the scenes and to move through the story and go, oh man, this is so cool. And I go, wow, um, that started in the loft or, or somewhere where I was by myself um, creating that journey. So mm-hmm. the, the creation is, is always gonna be my first love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What have been some of the uh, biggest challenges that you've had in just getting your production company up and running and on, you know, on the way? Knowing all the details. Um, and having the money, starting the LLC isn't cheap. Um, putting it all together at the same time requires funds. And I had them at the time. So it was really nice to start my corporation. I was paying another company to consult with 
building corporate credit, um, getting my web page up. You know, what, what are the first like five to 10 things you need to do as a, as a real corporate entity? And, um, and they were right there. It was, it was, a, it was well-spent money. You know, wife's like, Oh my God, you spent on it. Hey, it's going to be worth it. This is a new territory for me before I was doing it without having a company as a banner. And then when you have a company, you have to steer that ship, you know? And, and, um, and if you're new to it, you need to have some advice, you know, because things happen, you know, I'm not an owner who sits back and hides behind. I'm literally the company. I go out, um, case in point, we have an animation project. We, de we developed it and started creating it, you know, like 20 years ago. And um, since then, uh, I, I developed the chops to, to sit at the helm of this company. And um, one of my guys goes, um, there's this guy that would be really, really great to be a showrunner on your project. You know, he says, do you know who I'm talking about? And um, he introduced me to this idea. He's like, you should think about getting him to be your showrunner. Because, you know, you've done some pretty wild things. He said, uh, why don't you see if you can get him attached? And, and so I go on this journey, you know, looking to see how I can reach this guy. Um, he only had a few active accounts online and he was a legend in animation. And what happened was I got my break. He was gonna be at this convention talking about X-Men. And so I drove way out to Simi Valley and it turned out because he was black, there weren't a whole lot of young people there to, to do Q and A. So I was the big kid in the audience doing all the Q and A. Hmm. and building a, building a friendship with him because he was just like, after it was over, he goes, man, he goes, thanks for asking so many great questions. You let me delve into areas, you know, that I, I always want to delve into, but a lot of people don't ask those kind of questions. And I had to let him know. I said, I had an ulterior motive. <laughs> uh -huh. I drove all the way out here to get you. And he's like, oh, wow. And, you know, and, and we chatted and, and, you know, when it was all said and done, I got him to agree to be my showrunner. And um, when I got the legal firm attached and started with the legal firm, my deal with them was I was going to get a major attachment to the animated show to get them to take me as a client. So I killed two birds with one stone. And if I let someone else take the reign on that, it probably wouldn't have happened because he was really, really hard to get to. I had to make a friend with him and, uh, and really pick his brain and get to know him before I wanted to sit down and talk about, hey man, do you want to come out? You, you haven't done this in a minute, you know, and, and, um, and take this journey with us. And, um, and we managed to get him to sign on the dotted line and now he, he lives in our pitch book. <laughs> I got his picture in the pitch book. Huh, cool. and, it's, a, it's a lot of work and there's a lot of things that you have to do. You know, you don't see these big, huge companies. Uh, there's not one person running it, man. They have teams and departments that are all, well-schooled in their in their area of expertise just hammering the thing every single day and um and what i want to do with my company is start off with a couple of, of very passionate people that love what they do and then add more of those kinds of people to my company you know because when i was a kid i used to tell folks i'm going to be like walt disney and they were just oh you're pipe dreaming it was like you know why is it a pipe dream exactly there are human beings with two legs and two arms yeah. He bled like we did. They don't have antennas coming out of their head. They're not aliens. So. Yeah, he didn't fly without an apparatus. I mean, you know, why can't you be uh, like Mr. Walt Disney? Yeah. And, um, uh, and I've always had that in my head. So, well, why can't I be? And somebody told me one time, oh, you're being arrogant. 
I said dreaming and, and having a goal is being arrogant. I said then then most of us probably shouldn't be here if we if yeah, we care yeah. about something that much. Exactly. But, um, yeah, you know, it's it's a machine. As a content creator, do you have any daily routine? That you oh do? yeah, I What's have to your... definitely. I, well, I have to oil the machine every day. You know, like our Twitter account, we started off with um, like ten or fifteen uh, followers. You know, when you're getting other companies to look at what you're doing, you want to show that all of your your social networking is up up to speed. You know, somebody wants to advertise with you or do something with you, they're going to have a specialist go in and look at how your other channels are doing. And um, uh, I paid a guy to teach me how to build a following without getting the porn people. And, you know, there's there's people that you pay and they pad your thing up with all these characters, you don't know them. Um, I didn't want that. I wanted people to go in, like if you go to my Twitter, you'll see comic book type folks, uh, cosplay, uh, writers, <clears throat> actors, people that are in my area of expertise or, or closely associated to. And it was deliberate. You know, I would write down the different categories. How do you find those people? You well, the, the first way you do it is you start off with categories. So for the animation, <clears throat> I'll make categories of, of uh, entities that are in the animation department. Um, our animated show deals with Kung Fu. And then we have another show that is an all Asian cast show. So I went and I found martial arts schools and, and things that were themed to martial arts. Then you went, we went through action films. So I built this huge category list. And then every day what I would do <clears throat> is I would go out and make friends with so many, like 20 people a day, you make friends with them. And hmm. then my wife would do it. She'd you go talk out. to them first or you send them a friend request and, and then talk to, just talk to them to get their interest. You talk to them first. Yeah, then. you just, I have like little scripts and I reach out to them and then I say, you know, I like your content and I would look at them. It takes work. You know, you go and look at the thing and I go, this would be a good person. But what you find is when you find one good person that has, um, uh, you're looking for people who have a deep following list and an interest in your area. And what will happen is when you follow them and build a relationship with them, you now have access to a thousand people that are in their network. Hmm. And after my first day, it's like, we started with 17. Then I ended up having like 50 or 70 uh, by the next day. And that was the, because of the labor networking with the right people that were on Twitter that had a really, really good following list on their own and people that had certain interests. And so they're seeing my feeds and going, oh, I like what this guy is talking about. You know, cause I would put up quotes from one of my action series, you know, these cute little quotes, these little themes and put them up. And, um, and then folks started following me. Hmm. And then when I got into the area of like a thousand or more followers, something else happens. You know, when you have that many people, then you'll notice that your following list gets bigger and bigger. And that's what some of these companies want to see. They want to see that you're, you're developing uh, an audience because then you go, this is a good person to bet on. He's got a heck of an audience and look at that. He's, he hasn't been around that long online. And um, if we do something with him, look at what his downline looks like. He's got a really respectable follower list. And those are people that they want to advertise to. You know, when they're doing their uh, logistics, they're going to, you have like a back door on Twitter where they can look and see how you've been doing on a scale, you know, for the month for the week, what your traffic's like during the day. It's, it's a business. 
Hmm. I had to pay somebody to teach me how to understand how that beast works. Because I have friends that go, how did you get so many followers? You know, where did, where did you pay for it? I said, oh, no, man, I didn't pay for it. I <laughs> said, mm-hmm. at some point, I want to hire somebody and pay them very well to live on that, you know, you know, for eight or 10 hours a day, sit down, build that list up because. It's worth the investment. It really is because when you, when you create these other lines of income, uh, it allows you to be able to take care of your team and to be able to take care of yourself while you're developing. Cause there's no money coming in when you're developing, mm-hmm. you're paying for, I'm paying for everything right now. And I, and I had the money to get my guys to do things to get us up and running so that we could do presentations. Cause that was the very worthy investment. And, um, and now that I've invested the money and learning how to do these other things, I felt like those were very worthy investments because they'll lead to money. Because mm-hmm. some of these people, they don't know how to build their Twitters up. They go, oh, we have a production company. And I said, but you're leaving a whole deck of, of other possible financial possibilities uh, untapped into because you've only been taught to pursue one avenue. And um, we eventually want to have a toy company too. That's going to be like the next big thing. So we're working on getting that ready too, because a lot of my projects uh, have a lot of merchandise, mm-hmm. and um, and Which I plan. On, <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to I want to bring back I want to bring back that whole GI Joe thing, man. When I was a kid, but I want to make him better. You know, yeah. make him better than it was when I was doing it, and uh-huh. uh, and get young boys to daydream. You know, like like I did in the 70s. Daydreaming was a significant part of my life at that point. You know, sit in the room for two hours daydreaming before I did anything. And then I would read and then I would play and do all that stuff. But daydreaming about stuff was first. And I don't know if young boys do it just like that anymore. Hmm. You know, because a wise man once said, spend spend your day uh, if you daydream, spend two hours out of your day daydreaming and spend the rest of the day doing something about what you daydreamed about. And that's how I've managed to be here this long, uh, you know, doing all the creative things that I've done and doing them well enough um, to where you have other professionals that want to do something with what you're doing. So um, it's working. Hmm. What are are the biggest challenges in being a content creator and and having your own company? Um, The downtime. Um, having the financial resources to keep things moving, um, uh, getting all the people lined up for meetings when it's advantageous to you. You know, like I had meetings set up in uh, January. I wrote two screenplays last year and they were supposed to start shooting one of them uh, in February. And I was counting on that happening so I could do certain things with our funding because, you know, when you write stuff, you get some of your money up front and then you get some of it after it goes into production. And so uh, I wrote actually three screenplays last year. One of them was supposed to start in February. It didn't happen. So um, the hardest thing is, is um, being very careful with how much money I spend moving things around because I don't want the machine to stop. Uh, and it's costing me money to have the corporation isn't free. You have to pay your fees. Uh, the web page just costs money. Uh, the phone service, the office, all that stuff costs money. So um, I have to keep those things happening too. And um, uh, staying afloat is probably the hardest part before you get a show produced. 
once the show is produced, the money is flowing back. And, uh, and we have a couple of projects that we're in negotiations with. And I just, I'll be glad when one of them is finally up and running and then I can kind of let some of the other things go that I'm doing just to keep the company up and running and, and, and help take care of the guys that are on the team. Hmm. Do you have any uh, role models or, or companies that, that, that create content and, and they kind of inspire you or you say, Hey, now th those guys are doing it right. Um, that's a really, really great question. Wow. Um, gosh, there's a lot of them. Um, there was a company that optioned uh, the animated series that we're developing called Strama McGallum. They're, they're like a legendary company. And it's so funny. Um, I didn't go to work with them to pitch them anything. Uh, I just loved watching them. Uh, we got hired to do some work. And I remember watching them in the boardroom, creating some content. They've done like um, commercials for the Super Bowl and stuff like that. And they have some really groundbreaking commercials. And so I got to watch the, the partners work one day. They were in the boardroom and they're going over their stuff and they had sketches and uh, um, they had scripts and everything. And it was so cool watching how they were doing what they love and they have a great reputation. And uh, when there was an offer to come in and talk about what we were cooking on, because they'd seen some drawings, we pitched them an animated show and they ended up optioning it. And um, and it was really cool. I think they just really thought that we had this really great idea. But then when they read the script that we had to go with it, they were like, holy crap, this is actually a really, really cool, fleshed out kind of a show, you know? So uh, we had a deal with them to do 35 minute um, interstitials on the Nextel platform. This was way before cell phones became such a daily beast. And um, I just loved working with them, man. They were really creative. They were out there doing stuff. And um, uh, watching them work was a great learning experience. So I would say Strong Miguel, I'm not sure if they're still functioning, but they were, they would, I would say they're my first, like they're like my first favorite company. Um, but there's so many of them and for so many different reasons. I can't say one because when you're doing visual effects and you're, and you're working on stuff and working with other people, you have a chance to see how those machines work. Um, there's a visual effects company I work for that I, that I was, um, I thought they were just phenomenal. They had fun all day. Uh, there's a company called Cantina Creative. They usually do all the visual effects on all the X-Men movies and like the Marvel movies. And um, I worked on some really big campaigns with them and they had fun. It was like a boys club. We had fun. They still have fun and they do the most incredible work you've ever seen. And they have great work ethic. Um, but um, those are the two I can think of off the top of my head. I know I'm probably leaving a few others out. That, is, that was a great question, man. <laughs> do you specialize in any particular kind of content? Like if someone is looking for something of a certain kind of genre or direction that they, they'll say, Brian Fire, that's the company that they can tear this up, that they, they can really do justice to this. You know, I get that. I get asked that a lot. I remember I had a guy that um, wanted me to do a street story, but he had talked to me and thought I was such a square. I couldn't tell a street story. And I had to educate him. I said, look, man, I said, um, a writer's job is to throw themselves into telling a story. 
I said, when I'm working, you're not going to hear me talking to you like I am, you know, when we're negotiating and, and talking about what we're doing. The, I think the blessing for me is um, I grew up reading multiple genres. So um, I think my special genre, though, would probably be action, uh, fantasy. Um, but it's so hard to, to, to nail one because I love writing dramas. I love... Um, I love action, I love sci-fi. They all require the research and character development. And uh, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter what genre you have. If you don't have compelling characters to live and, and breathe that stuff, then you really don't have much to say about that genre. So for me, it always starts with the characters, you know, no matter what they do. If you're in a horror film, you need to have four or five characters that people are gonna wanna watch go through this horror ride. If you're in a sci-fi, you're gonna to have to have characters uh, compelling enough to be on the screen that people are gonna to wanna to watch them go through whatever they're going through or trying to discover. And, um, but if I would nail it down to a few, I would probably say like action, sci-fi, and uh, oh gosh, it's, it's multiple. Um, it's hard to nail one, you know, because I love them all. Mm -hmm. I like, pretty much I like all the genres. What are some of the ways that you use or have used technology is there a particular software that that uh that you utilize i use everything <laughs> i use microsoft word you know when i'm developing characters i get headshots of, of actors that i use you know for my um my template you know like you have one actor and um, i always think of an actor who i've watched and kind of educated myself on. And then I'll have their headshots. So I'll have a, a, one of the big screens up and I'll have their headshots up. So I wanna see what they look like when I'm, when I'm working. And um, I've always used uh, Final Draft because um, uh, your writing software is important. You wanna, you wanna have a relationship with it to the point where you can almost type as fast as you can come up with ideas. And, and with someone like me, who has a problem with ideas flowing into my head, I try to get all my stuff on that computer, on my laptop and get it in there uh, right off the bat. And so Final Draft has been a really great tool. Uh, I use Word because I write copious notes. Before I even write a script, I have pages and pages of story notes and then character notes and, and plots that I, uh, potential plots that I can put into effect and then my ideas. So they, I have a kind of a chaotic process, but it all comes together when I get ready to start writing a story. By the time I get to that point, I write a whole outline of everything that's gonna go down. And then you get on the, um, in the final draft and start writing the screenplay and then it just flows. Hmm. And before I had an accident, I used to write a hundred, I used to type 120 words a minute. Now I'm down to about 80. Well, did you learn typing in school or, or did you just teach yourself? I did. I took a, a typing class and I did okay. But when I took a writing class, um, I had a real typewriter. <laughs> you know, I had a real typewriter and I used to keep two of them in the trunk of my car because I got obsessed with writing. And then I, uh, I had a book on typing and I had to refresh uh, my mind because you have to tune your mind into the keyboard. and um, you know, many nights of staying up, hammering on that little typewriter. And, and um, uh, I started getting the speed together. 
and uh, building a relationship with the keyboard. I have an issue with keyboards too. So I, I like to use the old Macintosh keyboards because they bounce uh-huh. when you type on them. You know, they respond really well. And these new keyboards, they're like for show, you know, they're real thin. And, and I find that I make a lot of mistakes with these new keyboards because they're all cute and everything. And in, uh-huh. when you're working, you don't want cute, you want effective. Yeah. yeah. It's something that you, I have to write it once and I don't want to touch it again until I'm actually putting it into outline mode. And from outline mode, it goes into the screenplay software. And then we start getting down with dialogue and, and, and creating the colors. Hmm. So um, uh, let me see. So so final draft, Photoshop, sometimes when I want visuals of places I'm thinking of, I'll get pictures of if the story takes place somewhere where I've been, uh, I can go into my photos. I have like DVDs of, of family pictures and places I've uh, been. And then other places I've seen video on, I'll have those things up. Because you want to put yourself where you're going to be, where you want to tell the story. Hmm. And um, I remember um, one of my writing instructors telling me that you should write your story <laughs> where the story takes place. And a few times I've ended up going places to um, get into the mode, you know, and start writing the story. I went to Albuquerque one time and, and stayed in this real cheesy motel. And I loved it. You know, it was, no one was there. It was a really seedy place. And and my mind was just, it was, it was so open. Uh, I wrote, I think, for like 20 hours. So um, software is important. Uh, but those are the basics, man. Final Draft, Final Draft and, and like Microsoft Word and uh, Photoshop uh, are like my main go-tos when I'm, when I'm working. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most important aspect of producing content? Ooh, Relationships. Because um, being able to get people to come together to do the things that need to get done on time, um, when you need them in the, in the clutch, like when you're having meetings and stuff and, and you need to have certain elements put together um, and then you need to have a place to go. You know, you need to take, once you get your, your stuff together, you need to actually have the apparatus to be able to go and start having those meetings. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. Uh, they don't know how to network. I think a producer really has to have exceptional networking skills because you have to build that Rolodex up that you utilize when you're taking projects and moving around. And um, if you're somebody fresh out of school, you're just not gonna know all those intangibles until you've been in the pit. You know, you've worked with other producers, you've seen them do their job. And, um, and you know how to work with people. It's, it's really, really important because it can go smooth or it can go really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, having those relationships mean the world because some people can't wait to work with you. Oh, hey, Brian, it's good to, what have you been doing? You know, and, and they feed you stuff. Hey, oh, it's funny that you call because this, this, and this, and this. And I'm like, oh man, mm-hmm. I'm, now I'm on some other projects. I picked up a writing gig um, after reaching out to talk about another project. So, um, Having that world experience is, is important for a producer. Hmm. Uh, have you noticed the landscape for content creators changing over time uh, through the years that you've been involved in it? Yes. <clears throat> and, and a lot of it to the detriment of the ease that's out there. Um, one of my big issues right now is, um, you know, there are a lot of us out here who have learned how to write um, by the old school standard. Um, And I see a lot of people that want to take shortcuts. And I think shortcuts are bad. 
Yeah, I find myself working with writers um, who really don't spend the time properly developing the characters. They don't spend the time properly telling a good story. They have social uh, movements that they like and that those social movements are more important than structure. And um, I see a lot of that going on. And uh, I see a lot of it in the content. You know, I see folks messaging and they haven't really nailed the story yet. And they're already messaging in the first act. There's all these messages going on and, and things that they want to put on the screen. And I'm going, I said, if I'm pulled out of the story to deal with all that, then to me, you're, you're messing the story up, you know, because I'm checking in to watch these characters take me on a ride. That's all I want. I don't want you to try to teach me or, or try to infect how I feel about politics. If you can do it in the body of the story and it's compelling, then that's a bonus. You know, it's like, hey, I learned something, you know, like uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. There are certain things in some of that there's been multiple movies done and there was a little something each one had and it made me do a little bit more reading because I met the Tuskegee Airmen in the 90s, which was really amazing. And um, I wasn't crazy about the movies that were made about them, though. I mm -hmm. thought the movies about the Tuskegee Airmen should have been epic, should have been huge. Gone with the wind big because what those men did was just crazy. Mm -hmm. It really was. You know, I was telling the wife, I said, they gave these guys bad planes so they would fail. And they're working with all these white pilots and uh, they really just wanted to show, you know, these black pilots cannot do what the white pilots can do. And these guys went out with inferior uh, equipment and uh, vehicles and just did the impossible. And these movies that I saw did not do them justice. Hmm. You know, and I got, I took a, I took a thrashing, you know, for my black friends or entertainment who supported. I said, you know, I support excellence. Yes, I want to see us work. I said, but I thought they shorted the Tuskegee Airmen. I thought the story should have been bigger. Um, and it, to me, it wasn't, it was just like another movie. Because yeah. you know how you feel when you walk out from a really good film, um, your heart's pulsing, your brain is racing, and you're just like, oh, my God, I want to watch that again. And I have those films. I have certain films that I watch every year that give me that feeling. And, um, and I always wonder, God, I wonder what the writers, gosh, what they were thinking when they were creating this or what the director was going through when he's watching these scenes come together. He's like, this is going to crack, you know? Um, the rush to create content is what I see. And I also see a lot of shows getting canceled very, very quick. And um, that's another telling sign. It's like, who agreed with this? Who, who gave the thumbs up? Hmm. I know they have to feel pressure after the show is canceled. It hasn't even gotten through the first season and the show is canceled. I'm watching one such show right now that I just found out that got canceled because for me, it's good to do research. I want to see why a show fails. Uh, and I want to get can learn a lot more from the failures than the successes you can. And, and the one show, I don't want to mention it because I don't want people to get mad, but I'm watching this one show. I've managed to get to three episodes and it's just flat. And I'm going, gosh, this is so flat. But there's a lot of political stuff tossed into it. You know, so we're going to put all this stuff in here and um, and try to do all these other things. But the story is not working. Um, it's just flat. I'm just struggling to get through. I'm going, come on, this is supposed to be a sci-fi. It's got all this action in it. And then everything just seems flat. I'm going, this is not how you're supposed to feel watching this kind of a film. You know, did you watch Alien, the first Alien? 
Yeah, but it's so long ago, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, the first couple Alien movies, the first one was more of a horror than sci-fi, but the ones that preceded it were sci-fi slash action films, and they got you up and running. James Cameron will get you up and running, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll take you through an emotional ride. And I'm watching these shows and just go, oh, I said, this is missing. The basic stuff is missing. Um and you can't really say anything because you may be offending somebody that you're going to be working with. You just have to kind of keep your keep your you know perspective to yourself and focus on your content. And and my focus is creating strong content uh, for everybody, you know, and and doing it the way that I've learned how to do it, and not getting caught up uh, when I work with other writers. Uh, I listen to them. I don't agree with ninety percent of what they say, and I go, hey man. My job is to tell a story. I said, you can do all that stuff that you want. At the end of the day, you're trying to create emotion where there is none. And you're trying to create a symphony on the screen. And if it ain't happening, if you wrote a comedy and they're not laughing, then you didn't write a comedy. Yeah. If you're doing an action film and then nobody's feeling exhilarated or feeling like they're in an action film, you didn't write an action film. And, and uh, I see people trying to explain failure. And it's like, if you got to explain a film to me, then it's not working. I should be self-explanatory. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, someone comes to you with wanting you, wanting to you to produce some content for their company or, or whatever. How do you make a boring subject? Interesting. My characters and the plot and the right. <clears throat> yeah. Cause it, when, when somebody's telling me like the, the gentleman that I worked last year, I worked with a producer last year, and it was so funny, <clears throat> excuse me. He told me, we have detailed notes and everything. And, and anytime someone tells me they have detailed notes, by the time I get to those notes, they're usually not detailed. So mm-hmm. I have to usually create the world that these characters live in. And what was fun was I got to work, when the producer realized that the notes weren't sufficient, um, when they told me the story, I enjoyed listening to them tell me the story better than the notes that I was given to feed off of. Because I said, the notes leave so much out. I said, we don't know who these characters are. Uh, it's a brilliant story. I think it would be one that, that would do very well, but it has to be told a certain way. And um, there just ha- so happened to be a style that I wanted to play with. And I figured this particular film would be perfect for it. So what I did was uh, it took four meetings for creative meetings because the wife told me a story and then the husband took over the story and he basically changed the story so i my notes were based upon the the beginning with his wife and then him taking it over so when i wrote my story outline and and created all the filling and everything i give him i gave him the story outline and they loved it so when we sat down to go over it the husband was elated because it had all the stuff that he liked in there but the story was really his wife's story, her journey from her perspective. They didn't tell me that when we first met. So hmm. I was sitting here going, oh, wow, that's never happened like that to me. So I, I had to go back in where I have lived with this, this, this story for a couple of months that I, that I started and I did the outline to because the next step is the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So she's telling me, I love what you did. I think it'd be a hit. She goes, but that's not my story. And I was like, oh, wow. And she goes, that's not my story. And I said, oh, I said, well, elaborate. And she goes, well, we started off telling my story. Says, but what you ended up with um, is a story that's not from my perspective. So I had to go back in and rework my notes and rework the whole thing to be told from her. And so now 
she's narrating in the story and it's really playful. Um, it's educational, it's fun, it's witty. They are kids and, and um, now it's not a boring story. It's really, 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 really fun. So hmm. the characters and, and um, if you get the advantage of having a story and the person who's part of that story or who's telling the story, if I get to interview them and spend some time picking their brain for some of the nuances and uh, trying to get a feel for who they are so that I do a good job of recreating their character. Or for the screen, if there's certain little areas that aren't punched up enough, I can find things to punch them up a little bit more that are believable you know, for the time because the story starts like in the 70s. So there's things about the 70s and 80s and 90s that are all different. And um, if you've lived through them all, you know what those differences mm -hmm. are and how people talk. And so, um, yeah, you, you, there's a way to turn a boring story. And, and the producers have to be willing to go on the journey with you, too, because mm -hmm. sometimes they want to live in what they think is interesting. And um, uh, if you have to show them why something doesn't work, sometimes I'll do that, too. You know, I so said, I really like this story. Uh, let me tell you what I think will work best. And then let's talk about it. You know, so I'll lay it down and then I'll break down some of the scenes and go, this is why this works. This is why this structure would work. Uh, how do you feel about that? And uh, the outline usually takes good care of it because you've put everything in there. Sometimes I put dialogue in the outline as well. So you get a little bit of a feel for the characters. And 99% um, uh, of the time, the outline that I write works and they go, God, this is great. Let's do it. Uh, there's a few that hold out because they really see certain things a certain way and cinematically it they won't work. You know, mm -hmm. that's the hardest for me. That's usually the hardest part because sometimes the producer or the person who wants you to tell the story is the thing that's, that gets in the way. They'll get in the way of it being done. And if they've been trying to get something made 20 years and they have the financial resources, that's probably, the reason why. <laughs> yeah. uh, who are your favorite uh, content creators, producers, directors, writers? Oh gosh, man, that's that's massive. Oh wow, that's a long list. Frank Darabont is uh, like one of my favorites. Um, geez, oh god, Frank Darabont. I like I like James Cameron. Um, God, I wish I wrote a list down because this, there's so many, my mind is racing right now, but I have a lot of them and, and I watch a lot of their films. I watch all of the stuff that Frank Darabont has had his hands on. I've watched everything Cameron's got. Um, uh, what's the kid from, um, Happy Days? Ron Howard. I'm a big fan of Ron Howard's yeah. work. Um, especially back when he did like Willow and, Oh my God, he is an amazing storyteller and filmmaker. But I have a lot. Um, hmm. That's a, that's like a whole episode, man. <laughs> what, what's episode. the most important aspect of the content you produce? Um, building a connection between the the people that are either reading the script uh, or the, the the people that are watching the film, building a relationship early on between them and the characters involved. Um, Cause I feel like if you're not interested in the person that you're gonna take this journey with, why would you sit down in the movie theater for two hours watching something 
and the person that you're watching do these things just hasn't done it for you. So communicating, uh, winning them over with the main characters uh, that you're putting on the screen, that's like the most important thing to me starting out. There's a lot of other things, of course, but um, it starts there, you know, especially when you're pitching a story, if they don't like what they're hearing from that character, it's going to go downhill from there. Mm -hmm. It's a saying like you have to catch your reader in the first 10 pages. I think you have to catch them in the first five. You know, I'm already up against the clock as it is. So it's like, I want to see what's the fastest I can catch you and get you interested uh, in this journey. You so know? many distractions these days. And there are. And uh, that's why I believe when you go to a movie, for me, my kids like to go to the movies because for me, I check out, I turn my phone off. Mm -hmm. I don't want any distractions. Even if we watch, when we have family time at home and we watch movies, um, there's no cell, I tell my kids, there's no cell phones. Don't bring your phone. I'm not pausing this. Let's get into the movie and let's, let's go for a ride, you know? And it's fun that way. We get popcorn. And um, uh, if you're being distracted, you're re literally being pulled away from the story. You're trying to make that connection and go for the ride. Imagine having to answer a phone call 10 times. Exactly. You know, it's it's um, it's frustrating. So <laughs> I don't bring my cell phone or I, at least I turn it off when we go to the movie theater. And um, and, uh, and I hope that everybody in our household does the same, because it's like if I'm taking time out to watch something with you, let's all, you know, spend some quality time and and be able to talk about it after if it ends up being good. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes we've watched some really, really good films. Uh, or documentaries, and I love when my kids have questions. Like, um, I watched a documentary that talked about the Black Tulsa, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, the riots, mm -hmm. and my 20-year-old hadn't been told that story. Mm. Um, and I was telling her, there's references. I don't think I was told that story in school either. <laughs> I wasn't either. And, I, and I, you know, my, my history teacher was a really great guy. Like, he would talk about things that weren't in the history book. He talked about things that dealt with slavery and the Indians, stuff that didn't appear in the books. And it made me want to do more research. And, um, and it really drove my daughter nuts because she was like, how could someone destroy a whole thriving black city like that? And I was going to say, they're just, there's, there's evil people in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, they've conveniently left that out of history books mm -hmm. because they want to paint a certain picture of us and, you know, a lot of people think of the black experience in America. It's just, it's slavery, uh, all the way jump to civil rights. And then now everything's going on. Now they're playing basketball and making millions and said, man, there's so much left out yeah. um, of the journey. And um, the cool thing is we have a film to tell stories and put good food in there. So people can go, oh my gosh, I didn't know this happened. Let me do some research. Mm -hmm. uh, the Watchmen pulled that off. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the, the Watchmen opens with the Tulsa riots, <laughs> it opens, you're in the middle of it. My daughter didn't know that was what was going on. And I was telling her, I said, this is part of the Tulsa riots. She's going, really? And I said, yeah. I said, so they give you a little food from that. You know, what you hope people will do is they'll be interested enough to go and look it up and go, oh my God, I don't believe, I can't believe this happened, you know? So um, I think it's important to, to make that connection uh, and care enough to want to make that connection with people when they're watching uh, something that you're creating and uh, you've created and you put out on the screen. Absolutely. Are you familiar with Google ranks and uh, how they, how Google ranks content, how, uh, I don't know if you're. 
I, I have a friend who's like a certified, he's like one of these certified Google guys. And he gives me uh, like a list of things to, to have, um, to supposedly have a successful, um, uh, a successful ride with Google. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately have someone who's aware of doing all of those things. They just convey to me what things I need to have to make that work. Mm-hmm. And um, what's really important is, uh, like we were talking about before, with like your company, you want to try to cover all of your bases. Like when you have, uh, when you when you structure your company, you want to have all of the channels. You want to have an identity on all of the channels that are the core channels that advertisers are going to be looking at. You know, because you don't want to cut your toes, um, shorting yourself where you can be making money. And you're not really looking down those avenues and, and line yourself up to do well. Because if you're just a filmmaker, um, if you don't have any merchandise, you're losing out on a whole lot of revenue. And um, everything that I've written has revenue up the yin-yang. It's a lot of merchandise, which is why I decided uh, that we want to start a toy company. Because I see toy companies get lazy. You know, Some of the stuff they put on the shelf it just looks like they threw it together. And it made me mad. I said, cause that was part of my childhood, man, is mm-hmm. going to the toy store and, and uh, you know, and cutting lawns and doing everything I could to get my action figures. And they made them just right back then. <laughs> they made it seemed them- like they made everything more sturdy back, back yeah, then. I mean, my underwear lasted me longer when I was six than they oh, do now. Are you kidding? I, I know I was harder on underwear at six than I am now. I know I'm I'm with you there, and I, and and like my wife teasing me, she's like, "Why do you go through so much trying to find underwear?" I said, "Because you know they're not all the same. You know the elasticity around the waist is not really well done. The craftsmanship's not done, and and yeah, even underwear, uh, you have to sleep and work in those things, and they have to be comfortable. So I end up spending a lot of money on just that." Believe it or not, you just, and my wife goes, I cannot believe you just spent 20 bucks for it. <laughs> I go, I have to sleep. I have to be comfortable when I'm working. And, and uh, uh, same with toys. I said, I'm going to buy something like this. Uh, I have a lot of action figures now. And in my studio, I have, um, you know, posters and, and things that make, make the studio special and a creative place to be. I've got musical equipment hanging up. And if the craftsmanship's not good, I don't want to see that stuff. When I walk in, I want to get inspired and feel like I'm getting ready to go to work. This is a great place to be. I can see all the cool stuff. If it's not quality, it's just like, that's not going to inspire you. Yeah, you know, It's not going to really do what, what it's supposed to do, which is make you get excited about being in that space that has all of those, those things that you like to see when you become creative, you know, ready to get creative. Mm. But um, who's on your current team and what roles do they play? Um, I have, uh, my writing partner is a gentleman named Mike Kelly, um, who's a little bit of a legend all on his own. Um, I used to hear about this guy and, um, I'd be working on different films. I remember one time I was working on a film out in the desert and me, the director, and the DP, were all sleeping in a motorhome together because <laughs> we had the talent staying in, uh, these apartments and so every night the DP was telling me about his friend. He's like, I want you to meet this friend of mine. You know, he's like you, he's creative, but he animates and he's a great editor. And, um, and so I had been waiting to meet this guy for a while and I, and I finally met Mike and we hit it off. And um, 
he had he had done some some little animated pieces that I thought were just amazing. I was like, wow! I said, this guy draws this stuff uh, effortlessly, and we both had a lot in common. We're both humongous Bruce Lee fans. Uh, we both love story. Uh, we both love filmmaking. And what was crazy when we came together, um, he was working at Sony, and I was just working on you know various films. So we never really had a chance in the beginning to sit down and create something together. But when we did, it was just like magic. And when he retired from Sony, everything just naturally just flowed so much smoother. Uh, and we're in the area of negotiating much faster because you realize when you're working full time, it's hard to develop stuff. It's, it's hard to carve out seven or eight hours to sit down and write. And, um, and we've managed to do that. And he's a VP at my company and uh, is producing and writing and, and is like the main editor of, of everything that comes out. And then I have my buddy Lee uh, Sanchez, the guy I told you that I used to dance with back in high school. He's an, a phenomenal artist, a, a great painter. Um, he can still dance and sing. And, um, and he's my art director and he is uh, everything that I need to go on a web page or any, anything in that area, he's got it covered. And um, another phenomenal person. We mesh, <laughs> it's amazingly, we mesh so well. Um, it's not like work. Hmm. I think the best teams are the teams that you have such a cool relationship with that it's not like work. We have to tear each, we have to tear each other away from each other <laughs> when we're hanging out, you know, and I do karaoke with these guys. So I sing and spend real quality time with them. And so we, we it's not like work when I'm with them. You know, those are my those are my two guys that actually do the karaoke thing with me, and we sit down and have cocktails and we shoot story. So that part of the team is more like a, a boys' club. Um, Alan Caldwell is is also a director, and he does like my storyboards and stuff. But uh, hopefully, he'll be directing some of the things that we're creating. He's also a creator, so I've got another guy who's award winning and and phenomenal on the team who um, in his own right could probably go do his own thing, you know, but we're teaming up because he's got some amazing undeveloped content uh, that we're going to put on the screen. I can't wait to even dig into that bucket, you know, because <laughs> we're working on my stuff now and, and the stuff that Mike and I have developed, but we have so much content in our team. It's just ridiculous. Hmm. What have- piece of content that you've created are you the most proud of? Um, and why? I would say I have two actually. Uh, the the animated show Kill Clarence Moss is one because I've literally poured everything from my journey into this show. Um, I've poured some attributes of myself, of my writing partner, of of other characters who who we've met along our journey into the show. Um, uh, we've literally gone from A to Z with this show. And when I look at the pitch Bible, uh, uh, I got a, a well-known showrunner attached to it. When I see his picture in there, it's the culmination of the journey that's manifested itself. So when I, when I pick up the, the package that I actually printed out, or I look at it online, look at the PDF, it's just like, I'm really proud of everything we did with it. Because when, when, when people look at the project, they go, oh my God, this is great. You know, it's it's uh, everything. You, when you see that your hard work is paid off, 
Uh, and the other project is a live action uh, that I created a long time ago. I can't even really say how many years ago, but it was a, it's a story about three Asian characters who, three Asian characters who come together in a very unlikely way and they end up going on a journey. And um, I didn't even think this was possible because I had pitched the story, you know, over 20 years ago and it was too violent. And um, after seeing the first season of Game of Thrones, I realized the world has changed and the world is ready for this tale. And that is an all Asian cast. I think it'd be interesting to see how people, you know, feed off of a tale from a guy like me with all Asian cast, you know, <laughs> getting down in this fantasy. And, um, but Ninja Rain, Tale of the Seven, and, and uh, Kill Clarence Moss are my favorites out of all the stuff they've done because they really, um, you see everything that I've learned in my life uh, and with entertainment in these two particular projects. And when you see them on the screen, it'll be even more interesting because I'm trying to create a back door so you can get like a book and find out all the things that went into making this happen. I wanna make that an experience for people too, because it wasn't just fun uh, starting off, it's been fun the whole way through. You know, It's been fun to pitch it. It's been fun to have dialogue with people of other cultures. You know, One of my mentors is Korean. And uh, I remember what he thought about the show at first. And then after I pitched the whole thing to him, he said, let me pitch you the whole story before you start beating it up. Uh -huh. And then when, when we got to the end, he's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is really cool. And I said, well, I told you it's different. So um, those are my two faves. And, and then I probably have four others. The family story um, that I did for a producer uh, when that comes out, that's like my next, because that's the first time I've done something like that. I wanted to do it. I wanted to tell one of those kinds of stories uh, with the main character narrating. And now I have that under my head. And it's it's an extremely well carried out vehicle. And um, I'm also going to be a part of, of the casting on that. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Hmm. Uh, what are some of the most effective techniques that you have used and used to market your company? Oh, good question. Um, the mediums that we just talked about, you know, getting on Twitter, um, doing, spending the money for the little advertisements. They have these little advertisements where they put things in motion. Um, I think the most effective tool though has been LinkedIn because a lot of folks are on LinkedIn. Uh, one of my early investors in my company, um, you know, he's like one of my, he's still one of my advisors and he used to be in charge of development over at Amazon. So he's, he's got a really, really strong network of people and he's had a tremendous effect on, on uh, the business side as well. Cause I always pick his brain, you know, he'll call me in the middle of the night with ideas and go, Hey B, try this, try this. Um, I want you to meet this person. I want you to be that person. I'm like, Hey man, awesome. And, uh, and I'm there for him and his exploits, because he started multiple companies, has always done well with what he does. And he was the one that really pushed me to um, put my company and myself as an artist on LinkedIn. And both of those avenues have, have done really well. You know, people are calling and and uh, the phone is ringing. So it's, it's a good place to be. Cool. Uh, how do you stay organized when you're managing multiple projects at once? That was an art form. <laughs> That's an art form. Uh, folders. 
I have uh, I have two laptops that I work off of, and I have four uh, computers at my house. And each thing, each each computer has a, a a purpose. You know, one laptop is for research. The other laptop is for writing my screenplays on. And um, I have uh, I create project folders for everything for the company, uh, for the stories, um, for the talent. For the for the top actors that I like, um, they're all in categories, you know, based by race. They're, I have them all figured out, and those are those. Everything has a purpose and a place, and um, the stories are are really really defined too. So when I go into a project folder, you'll see all the titles of all the shows that are currently in development, and you'll see the shows that we're actually already out pitching. And then if you go into that folder, you're going to see a breakdown of other folders you know, from the characters, the backgrounds, uh, the assets that went into the development of it. So each folder is like a world uh, that I deal with. And mm -hmm. uh, I like to keep it that way. So everything that pertains to this particular item, it lives in this folder. And then I make a backup of it because I had a computer crash one time uh, back when my brother and I were making PCs. I had a computer crash and I tell you, Mark, I thought I was going to die because there was there were there was writing in there i lost some original content that i wrote i think it was probably some of my best stuff mm. and some of my best thoughts and i and uh, that drive crashed and they couldn't revive it so um making backups is like a weekly thing you know i get those dual layer dvds and i make multiple backups you know you you put them in multiple places so I will never lose anything ever again. And, um, and I'm constantly updating the files to keep everything uh, accordingly. And then I share them. I share them with my writing partner. So he's also got a setup. You know, I guess he's gotten used to my style of, of you know, putting things together. And, um, but that in itself is a, is a whole system, you know, and I learned that over the years of working with different producers and different writers and, and different folks, seeing how they do theirs. And then I, I take pieces of theirs and built my own system. And uh, it works pretty well. And until somebody comes along that has a better system, then, you know, maybe we'll do it that way. But I can find everything that I need when I'm working. It's right at my fingertips. Hmm. So you're a, a PC guy then? Uh, I'm a Mac guy now. I started off with PC, but PCs kept getting viruses you know and when i'm doing research i'm online and i noticed that my brother and i would build these computers and, and as soon as i would go online the whole fun would end mm. because now you're open to all these different viruses and uh and i had a good buddy that was also in entertainment he would always mock me he goes when are you going to come over to the mac side you know you're wasting your time and blah 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 and we don't get viruses and i was like wait a minute what did you just say <laughs> he goes you don't get viruses on the Mac like you do on PC. You guys are always talking about this computer was down. So I used um, the first generation iMac, that all-in-one computer. Mm -hmm. He loaned me that. I did some visual effects on this this uh, short film, and I fell in love with the Mac after that. You know, because I was working on it, doing effects on it. The graphics came out good, and it was all in one. I didn't have to lug the case and then lug the monitor and all that. It was just one monitor. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a custom case for it. So when I bought my first iMac, um, the world of computing changed, man, because you can put 
everything that you need from the PC side on the Mac. Yeah. And it, and it's just and my whole my whole household is uh, is Apple based. You know, we had Apple phone, iPhones. I've got the iWatch. I've got iPads here. I use my iPads to read my books now. And uh, we have multiple iMacs sitting around the house. Um, I like Apple. I like how they get it done. And I love the fact that you don't get the darn viruses. Every I wonder day. why that is. Like, well, how, how has Mac been able to avoid those viruses and PC can't help but get those viruses? <laughs> it's the environment. It's the environment that it's created in. You know, when, when uh, people are working on PC, they know how to write code for the PC that's going to cause problems. It's harder to do that with Mac because it's set up differently. Hmm. So the people that are writing all these viruses, they started off on the PC and they're very proficient at it and they know that PC is not going anywhere. So it seems like they're content with, with writing viruses on the PC platform. They're still doing it. Hmm. And uh, I've only had a couple little issues with my Mac setup and they were handled really well by having good virus software, you know, mm -hmm. whereas in the PC world, it would have not gone very well off. I've had whole hard drives crash because of a virus that was festering in my system. Mm. And um, I've had no downtime since I've converted to Mac at all. Mm. And I work faster in a Mac environment. But I can also use PC. So sometimes I work with people and I have to use a PC. And I'm sitting there going, oh, God, I hope this PC doesn't cut up, you know, somewhere down the road. Mm -hmm. um, I stay in my lane, man. I love, I love my, my Apple products. Uh, they get it done. And I have a little stock in Apple, too. So. <laughs> I'm a Mac guy too. So that'll make you feel good. Uh, a lot of, for me though, a lot is because of their technical support. I like the fact that I can pick up a phone and have questions answered where when I was on a PC, I was pretty much just fending on my own and I'm kind of a technological nincompoop anyway. Why do you think TikTok has become so popular and what separates it from, from the other social media? Why, why are they like kicking butt? They have a different, um, <clears throat> TikTok is creating celebrities overnight, literally. Their, their content is shorter, it hits harder, and they have such a strong apparatus. Um, you know, these young users, man, are, are, are taking this whole game to a whole different level. I mean, their kids on TikTok making a lot of money uh, because that content is direct. It's being fed to millions of other viewers, and these kids are very savvy. Um, I think that's what makes TikTok, TikTok so amazing is there's a lot of young users who are, uh, uh, it's mainly the gaming people, I think, that really do well because they've got guys that do commentary. You have dancers who, who are doing these skits that go viral. You have people that are doing comedy that do short skits and those short skits get uh, you know millions of, of views. Somebody's making money when you get millions of views. Yeah, I've heard some of those TikTokers are making six and seven figures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, because I, I took some classes from some of the people who who have um, who've done really well uh, on like YouTube. So I took some classes on how to build content for YouTube. And then um, you keep track of all of the popular social streams to see which one's doing what and why. And uh, I like the delivery system with TikTok because it's shorter. You got to get in, you hit them and get out. And then you keep creating some more short, you know, to the point um, pieces of content, you know, that um, basically says who you are, what, what, what your force and your powers are going to be while you're on TikTok. 
And then I see a lot of new people coming up with content, man, that, that overnight people watching stuff and sharing it, uh, which is also why I believe you have to have a good social networking platform and the ability to cross platform because you're going to share those videos on the other platforms as well. And that all, it all just turns out to be one big ride that generates numbers. Like Clarence Avon used to say, it's numbers. He's always talking about numbers. It's got to make sense. Well, there's not a place like uh, like this whole social platform where it does make that kind of sense. Those numbers mean dollars for you mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and whoever else is working with you. Well, I just hope that TikTok doesn't make people's attention span even shorter. <laughs> uh, and you know what's interesting? The reason I think it'll balance out is because we still have Twitter. We still have the other platforms that are doing just as well, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm on all my channels every day. Mm-hmm. And um, I still find myself spending the majority of my time when it comes to the Internet with YouTube, you know, because I have I get my news from multiple sources. So I check into those networks and and get my news and kind of build up my idea of, of what's really going on, because um, I used to get it from one source. And now you, you find. Uh, even the news has producers working on different segments and sometimes they can be a little biased and on, on how they, you know, deliver story. So if you've got three or four different places you get your news from and you're hearing that one story from a couple of different folks, then you can kind of get a fuller story of what's going on. Like hmm. this thing in the Ukraine, this Ukrainian war that's going on right now, with Russia. Right. Um, uh, I'm really into watching this thing. I want to see how this is going to turn out because I think, our country has a lot to be concerned about with yeah. place. people don't want to talk about it, but I'm like, I'm not going to run from it. If something really bad happens, you don't want to be at the end of it and go, Oh no, this is happening now. You mm-hmm. want to, you want to be abreast of what's going on. It's yeah. not going to ruin your day. Just check in and just know what's going on in our world. You know? Yeah. It's what a strange world too. I just never thought that I would be experiencing or witnessing some of the things that I am seeing today in 2022 it just seems like people are losing their minds they can't politely agree to disagree uh they won't disagree they'll they'll come at you not only themselves but they'll get their whole army behind you i was on my facebook at one time talking about something probably had something to do with political and this woman not only didn't disagree with me but got her whole army of twitter fans on me (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm and I was what they call dragged, which I didn't even know the term until. Oh, until. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, I mean, at one time you could differ in opinions and give your point of view and call it a day at the end. But it doesn't end with that now. No, it's we're we're in the era of, of um, extreme social networking. And I've been in that position that you're talking about many times, because one of the things I do love about the Internet is that you can go and, and get into discussions with people from all over the world and, um, and, and find that there's, there's commonality uh, somewhere in the journey. And I have friends all over the world because of the internet, people that check in with me and, and uh, people that I've met that have come to LA and we spent some time together. But then I have these other friends who, who when I got into like some of the social stuff that's going on and getting into politics, you know, I had some that unfriended me. I remember when Barack Obama was running for president. You know, it was so funny is a lot of my friends that aren't black thought that just because he was black, I was going to vote for him. 
And the funny thing was, I didn't know anything about him. I was all prepared to vote for Hillary because I remember her and her husband. I know a lot about their journey. And then I said, out of the people that we have to look at, I think she would probably be the best candidate at the time. But I didn't know anything about Barack. And because of the friends that, that call themselves friends who were basically saying I was one dimensional and then I didn't really have a brain of my own to decide why I went back somebody, they were going, Brian's just going to probably vote for Obama. And I hadn't even heard of him. I said, who's Obama? <laughs> oh, come on, man. I'm like, <laughs> the black people are going to vote for Obama. And yeah. I said, so what you're telling me is that we don't take the time to measure a character to see if that's somebody that we think will do a good job. We don't think. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm glad they did that because when I looked at Obama, the man was a success story. I mean, his going through school, doing the things that he did, his journey in Harvard. And I was telling my son, I said, Barack is a success story. Uh, I may not have agreed with all of the things that he did or some of the things that I really hope he did do while he was president, but I understand why he couldn't do a lot of it because of the fact that he was in the position he was in, you know, um, but I thought he was brilliant. And I remember people attacking me because of, oh my God, you're only saying that because he's black. And I was going, I said, well, let's have a dialogue about that mm -hmm. so I can educate you as to why I made this decision. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny even though I was pointing out facts about him, uh, I noticed a lot of times when people don't want to don't want to agree with you, they won't even take the time to just do some research. People get lazy, and uh, that's something you know. Research is one of my tools, man. If I and they'll if, start bringing things into the conversation that have nothing to do with what you were even talking about. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm learning that some people do not have the, the skills to sit down and have an adult conversation, and um, when they realize that that what they think is wrong and you can prove that they're wrong by using facts then they bring emotions and other things into it to muddy up the discussion and fortunately i've lived long enough to know how to deal with that i'm just i just let them know i said you're not ready to have this discussion and said because you can't source any facts for me you know i said you can't source any facts i've given you facts and i'll give you links to everything that i'm telling you or sharing with you uh hoping to enlighten you not to change your mind, but to give you an, an opportunity to educate yourself and something yeah. you keep saying you want to talk about. But I've lost a lot of friends. Uh, I enjoy talking about politics. It's Which just a shame. You shouldn't lose a friend over over a disagreement in politics. <laughs> right. But what you don't realize sometimes is some of the things that these people think are just really outrageous. Yeah. And they don't want you to know that they think this way. Some of them don't try to protect this and then come to find out you're like on the other end of the <laughs> on the other end of the planet when some of the things that you're thinking. I was like, wow, you really believe that? Yeah. I, mean, I sometimes wonder that too. I, I wonder if there's a mark in some alternative universe that thinks like that other person. Because some of the things people say, I, I I just can't understand how they came to that. It's like it's like with some people, facts to them are like kryptonite is to Superman. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, you find out that they don't deal in facts. They like like what we're watching right now play out in our country. Um, we have a lot of people who are afraid. You know, this is a different world for them. Mm -hmm. um, they were running everything and doing mm -hmm. everything, and see now you see Latinos, and Blacks, and Asian folks just doing the most. And I think it's created a lot of fear for them because it's just like. Um, I used to watch this channel 
And every night they would just put fear into their audience. You know, black people are outbreeding us. Latinos are outbreeding us by 2020. We're going to be the minority. And I said, how do you think that, how do you think that affects the people that are watching that channel every night? And how do you think it's going to affect to how they interact with everyone else that you're telling them is going to outbreed them and make them obsolete? And um, fortunately, I've lived long enough to remember those episodes on the network. And then I see how people are acting out now. Um, who would have thought we would ever see a bunch of people go and attack our capital? Yeah, exactly. And can you and imagine if those people had been left from the left? Yeah. They'd be taking them away in body bags. It oh, seems like they're sure right. They, they to be able to get away with quite a lot. Oh, way over the top. And some of this doesn't make any sense. I mean, some of the prison sentences that have been handed out to these criminals is so low. And I'm just going, are we going to change what our country is about to accommodate these people who yeah. feel like they're above the law? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. the stuff the president, the ex-president is doing right now. I mean, yeah. anybody <laughs> else would be in a cell right now. And he's, yeah. you know, coasting around making up all these cute deals. I want to see how all of this stuff is going to play out because um, the, the perpetrators who want to pretend like it's not a big deal, they don't realize how damaging this is to our country yeah. and to our way of life. Yeah. And because we have to have these rules in place. Otherwise, we have anarchy. And, mm -hmm. and, and, um, and that's where we're going. You know, yeah. watching those people chanting about hanging the vice president because they didn't like losing is crazy to me and um and they're not taking a moment to stop and realize how crazy this behavior is until you're standing before a judge i lost my head that day i'm sorry i was like no you didn't just lose your head man you yeah. thought it was okay for you to go up there and act out like you did and then after it's over you're talking about blm and antifa i said blm and antifa didn't storm our capital yeah, yeah. you know i said you can't be making excuses for your behavior you did it we watched you do it, and I still don't see people being accountable or taking taking serious what no. they did. You can have them on tape, and and they still yeah. Even though even the politicians, some of the politicians are saying that it was like um, they were tourists. I said, when did tourists come building gallows and talking about hanging our vice right. president? Yeah. That wasn't a tourist thing, but um. It's all entertainment at the end of the day because they've got viewers yeah. who are watching their channels. Yeah, um, that's so what it, exactly what it is. It's at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. <laughs> it totally is, man. And uh, and and people like us, we see through it, we watch it. You know, uh, I always tell my son, I said, you know, I said we weren't supposed to be a part of this experiment this long. The Constitution tells you they weren't thinking a whole lot about us to be here, but since we've proven. To have that wherewithal, it's like we're, we're going to survive through whatever we have to survive through. It's interesting to watch this experiment work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting to see the flaws that should have been fixed a long time ago. Yep, yep. Still keep exposing themselves to us. And we're watching and going, it says, the law has to be the same for all of us. Why are we seeing this? You know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, we got it. We have to address that. I hope one of these presidents will do it because it's very disappointing to leave your kids to this world. And uh, if they're going to be in this country, watching the inconsistencies again and again and again and again, yeah. hopefully, hopefully um, um, things will start to turn. But it's still a great place to live. Um, 
Well, yeah, I mean, you still, it's still better than most places, even yeah, despite it all its uh, flaws, but it it's kind of discouraging that every, every two steps we seem to take forward, we take four steps back. Yeah, we are seriously taking four steps back now because um, there are individuals really trying to start their own version of a civil war right now. Mm -hmm. And I hear it in the dialogue. Uh, my wife always said, don't watch this stuff. I said, no, you need to know what the heck is going on. You know, I've had people approach me. I've been at the gas station and, and had guys build up their courage to step to me and say crazy things. You know, I'm just looking at them going, what are you talking about? You know, mm -hmm. you're watching too much news from one place. Um, that's absurd, man. Yeah. I don't hate you. I said, I actually don't think about you at all. I'm too busy out here doing my thing. Yeah. I think most of us, that's what we're trying to do is just do our thing. <laughs> yeah, and nobody is worrying about you um, at all. If you notice, people are out doing things and living and trying to live their best lives and, and, and um, they're on their journey. You know, they're out achieving their goals. Nobody, you're not part of their goals. I, mean, I hate to burst your bubble, yeah. but we're not planning to go after you guys in the night or do something to you <laughs> Yeah. I'm sleep at night <laughs> exactly. or, or creating. <laughs> yeah. Freelancing. Yes. Advantages, disadvantages. What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? <clears throat> There's always advantages freelancing. And, uh, and one of the reasons why I say that is because freelancing builds character. If you don't have a normal job that you report to from this hour to that hour, um, you have to create your work. And um, which is where that whole networking comes in. You know, it was hard for me to keep a job when I'd have to pack up and go pitch somebody or go to meet an investor. Some of them want to meet you. They want to see you. And, and, and um, I hate to always say it, but being black at that time was a trick because um, back then they would get an email. They wouldn't see me. So they, sometimes I'd talk to these producers and talk to these money people on the phone and build a great relationship. And then I show up, they go, oh, you don't look like what I thought. And I'm going, I said, I hope that's not going to be a problem. You know, because we have spent two months putting this meeting together. Um, but freelancing is great. I think it's good. It builds character. It keeps you on your toes. Um, uh, and and the other thing to that is everybody's not cut out for freelancing. You know, some people have to have a structure. Some people have to be told what to do. And then there's other people who can, who can do both. I've done both. I've worked for studios and I've, and I've, I've been a freelancer the majority of my career. Um, I like freelancing because I like being able to create my office anywhere I want. You know, when I'm writing, I like to go to different places to free my mind. And uh, you can't do that on the job. You know, you, they want to see you here. You are you supposed to be in your seat at 845. Not <laughs> we in production, you know. So um, I would do that because it's a check, and I'm doing my job. I said, but I, I like the freelancer side a lot better. Now that you have a company, um, I have to bring the qualities of both sides into play and make them work. And it's not it's not a big deal. It's fun when you're working with good people. A mm -hmm. uh, 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 recent guest that I interviewed had mentioned that uh, they're. A teacher, they teach digital uh, film and, and all kinds of stuff. You know, they work with a lot of youth. But one of the things that they will do is have their students take some technology 
and imagine or try to design where it will be in 10 years. So as far as uh, content producing goes and its evolution, where do you see that going in 10 years? Um, that's a great question. One thing I can say about content uh, creation and producing is it always starts with the same thing. You know, you have to start with the same building blocks. You have to start with a good project. Um, the delivery platforms will be a little bit different. Um, and, and I think, you know, just like the argument between PC and Mac, you know, people, wherever you start, like whatever you start working with, and you get, you know, very efficient using it. Um, some people build up a comfort zone and go, I like this. This is working really well for me. Whatever comes along, we'll get used to it. I mean, look at look at the internet right now. Mm -hmm. There was a time when I didn't have that to my advantage. When, when I would look for companies, uh, like my first job, when I was looking for visual effects houses to try to figure out where I would get a job, you know, uh, or even before that, before that, because we had the internet, but before that, I had to go to the library to look up companies. And that was how I found the uh, video game company that I worked at. There's a big book in every library. They have, they have many of them now and they're online. But back then, you had to go through a book and find these companies, look at how many employees they have. And that was how I picked the first company I worked for. I went through this, this big, huge, thick book. I found this game development company way out in Newport Beach. And then I created this whole narrative because I had never worked in that field. So I created this story and uh, I figured I could sell myself to this company because it was small enough to where I could meet the owner or the, you know, whoever's in charge and sell myself to them. And fortunately it worked out for me because I didn't have the experience, but the guy liked the fact that I had the guts to go and try to pull this off and, and he gave me a job. So I got my first job doing that. But um, I think, in a lot of ways in the future, we're gonna have um, elements that are gonna make our job easier. And it's gonna represent just what's happening now. Like writers have it easier, but they've gotten lazy. And uh, complacency uh, is a killer. You know, you can't get too comfortable. I have to always keep things raw, you know, so that I stay, I stay in the moment, I stay fresh, I stay relevant and, um, uh, I'm always looking at technology and looking for other elements and other apps that might make my job more efficient, not really easier, but more efficient because mm -hmm. I'm happy with everything I have right now. I'm good with it, you know, and uh, something may come out faster. Uh, something may come out that organizes things better. Uh, you have to realize you have to take time to learn that and then make it a part of your whole repertoire before you can really sail with it. And um, it's taken me years to master how to use Final Draft uh, to where I can turn things out quickly. It's taken years for Microsoft to develop Word to the point where, where I can put that in my pipeline and then have all these apps up and just be kicking butt and just going, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, It took me years to be able to afford all the equipment to have the multiple monitors, to have the characters up on one screen. It took time to get all that uh, and have it in a way that I can just just sail, you know, when I'm working. So um, I see the future being bright because we have folks that are determined to keep creating really great tools. Um, and these streamers make the game competitive so we always have a home for our content. That's exciting to me to see what's going to happen. There's so many new streaming platforms coming out. So 
my goal is to have something on multiple uh, streaming platforms. I want to have my footprint out there where people go, man, you do comedy too? Oh my gosh, you do sci-fi? It's like, yeah, man, it's just my mind is constantly churning. And, uh, and I want the content to be strong. You know, I don't want to just have something out. I want it to be, uh, I want the shows to be something that people are going to watch, you know, more than once and go, that was really a fun ride. That's what we're striving for. And um, that's the goal. Huh. Sounds good to me. Winding down here. Yes, sir. Uh, what did you do in the last year to improve your knowledge? I'm always growing, always doing research. Um, life is a school for me. It's it's like it's like um, you're constantly in school. Um, I had to study a lot more in the area of production because the production game has changed a lot. I was working with uh, a producer who was really trying to get us to go towards Netflix with our content, but Netflix has such a thick roster. It's like, gosh, man, it's like I'm wondering when something would see the light of day. <laughs> if you go and try to work with them now and they're doing a lot of deals and, and talking about this and doing the research made me realize I might want to look at some of the other streamers before Netflix, you know, since we, we had an end with Netflix, but um, I'm really educating myself on all the other top streamers, like the top 20 streamers, seeing what they have to offer. That's important. Um, we're, we're looking to get another comic book deal with one of the other shows because I want to set my merchandising up properly. So um, I've learned a lot about the other companies that I've dealt with. You know, we had a situation with Dark Horse. Dark Horse has changed their structure. It's like somebody else owns their company and they're thinking about film. So it's, it's so much, you have to constantly do your homework because one year things one way and the next year, it's all changed. There's another person in charge here and if you've dealt with this company before, you have to redeal with them based on who's holding the reins. So I've just been doing a lot of research and also flipping my writing style, um, learning how to deliver what I want to deliver faster and learning how to say it uh, even more clever. So every few years I work on that too, finding out how I can um, redevelop myself as a writer using the same old school principles but getting to the point quicker, you know, and punching folks. It's like giving them a punch in the nose. They read five pages and go, oh, that was cool. You know, so you want to you constantly be on top of your game. So it's, it's nonstop education for me hmm. um, and, in terms of entertainment. But it's pretty much been all entertainment and, um, and keeping abreast of what's going on in the world, doing more homework on what's happening. And um, we'll be voting again soon. <laughs> not looking forward to that it's scary we might have the same two people to vote for <laughs> you know what i mean it looks like it looks like it might be you know so it's like wow this is the craziest thing i've ever witnessed but um um we have to do what we have to do we have to do us whatever works in your situation yeah. you have to make your informed decisions and, and and make it work for you and that's although although biden seems to be actually accomplishing more than than obama <laughs> he is well but well think about it obama you know it's so funny obama had to do a lot i remember a good friend of mine telling me obama was supposed to bring people together and i'm like think about what you just said you're saying basically obama's supposed to be some kind of magician 
We've never had any presidents bring everybody together. So what makes you think he's going to do that? For people who have, who have decided they don't want to get along with certain groups, they'd rather die than do it. You really think yeah. Obama is going to bring them to the table? No. Mm-hmm. And I look how delusional some of these people are. Obama's going to bring some of those people to the table? That, that's, that doesn't even make sense to hear something like that. You know, Obama built a lot of followers, but because of his position, you know, he couldn't deal with certain groups the way that he probably wanted to because they go, oh, he's showing favoritism to this. So he was, he was handicapped in a sense. He had to come through and president for everyone and wasn't allowed to help certain groups, you know, in a way that he probably could have. And he could have won folks over, but he was in constant battle. That he was in constant fights with the other party that was was determined to make him look bad, and it was really hard to watch his presidency. You know, yeah. knowing who he was, I was proud of him. I was like, man, it's, I'm proud of you, dude. It's like, gosh, you you've accomplished so much. Now you you've risen up to the level where you're president of the United States. His life had nothing but accomplishments and milestones. You know, and it, and it couldn't have gone. It may not have gone that way. You know. When he was in that Occidental College, he could have just kept smoking pot and just taken other classes, but he took a turn for the better. And it was really awesome watching his journey. Um, it's unfortunate, though, that he wasn't able to really go to work. He no. did things, but he didn't really get to go to work. And Biden is um, getting to go to work. And uh, we've had such an extreme identity in the White House. Um, I'm glad to see Biden go to work because I think our country took some really significant hits while the other guy was in office. And I think he took us back with relations because you listen to what people are saying now, man, it's like they sound crazy. And um, they didn't just get that way. They believed that stuff all along. It's just he made them feel comfortable talking about it mm-hmm. out loud. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some of those people are friends. You listen to them. You know, you resonate with this guy said, well, tell me, what is it that you resonate with? Because this is probably one of the most corrupt, uh, foul mouth, dishonest presidents we've ever had. He's probably one of the most dishonest people I've ever seen go to work. And I'm going, what is it? Blat- that blatantly you're... dishonest. I mean, it's, and, and it's funny. That's what I kind of like about him is that he, he does it all right in your face. Yeah. Like, and, so... and, and, and then you listen to his followers talk about him. And I'm just going, I said, did you not see the video where he said X, Y, and Z? And they excuse it. So yeah. I'm going, I said, so I guess you just have no morals at all. You're willing to throw any morals that you might have and sensibilities out the window to roll with this guy yeah. who is just a privileged clown. In my eyes, he's just a privileged clown. And um, and I think he's done a lot of damage. I'm hoping. Well, just thank he- goodness he he was not more competent. Otherwise, we would be living under a uh, dictatorship right now. Yeah, he was he was setting it up. Yeah, he, uh, said, he said it early on. He said a president's authority is that's it, you know. And I'm just going. I said, no, brother, that's not how our country works. He's yeah. he's in love with other dictators. Uh, that was a really really big sign. I'm like, this dude is talking about the Kim Jong-il, the, the Korean dictator, and and playing flipsies with Putin. And then his party is all of a sudden, they're okay with dictators. I'm like, they were calling Obama a dictator. I said, now you guys are okay with real dictators? I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and uh, what, did, what did I, oh, oh yeah, this whole uh, w- one minute, uh, they're mad at Black Lives Matter or whoever for, for saying, uh, 
defund the police, which definitely is not a uh, <laughs> a, a good terminology, you know, no matter that's what your views are. But but now they they are saying the, those same people are saying defund the the FBI. Yeah. So at one moment they're totally for law enforcement, but then as soon as it doesn't go their way, they're totally against. And that's, that's the whole crust of their whole thing. When it doesn't go their way, they're like a child. Um, we're supposed to get everything we want. Even even some of the people that were going before the judge for the uh, insurrection. I remember there was one woman, she owned a nail shop. The judge allowed her to go on her vacation. And I'm going, what kind of a message does that send? She was there. She's in, the, in that whole situation. She got to go on vacation. And, uh, and then they gave her um, like a summary probation type of thing. And I'm going, this sets an awful, ugly precedent to discourage these people from ever doing this again. When you're giving these people slaps on the wrist, mm-hmm. um, where anyone else, if any of, I mean, when Black Lives Matter yeah. did one thing, the National Guard was out in full force. If it would have been anyone from the left, they oh, yeah. would not have put up with that. And these people did it to the extreme. I mean, they set up a gallows, they were chanting about hanging the president, they were beating the hell out of the police. I mean, they did the most. Didn't one of them like, T- take a dump on one of the Congress people's desk or something like that? I don't remember if it was a dump, but I just know that they did the most. And um, when I was watching it, I was telling my kids, I said, this looks so much like the Tulsa situation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there were things that we didn't know that the Proud Boys had guys in position with weapons, you know, to take it mm-hmm. to another level. And mm-hmm. uh, if we weren't watching this commission, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, people tell me I'm not going to watch that crap. And I'm going, I said, so you live in this country and you don't think this is your civic duty to stay abreast of what's going on here. You'd rather hold on to your own beliefs that are probably all flawed and not based on any facts than than be on the right page of history and, um, you know, and stand with your fellow countrymen and try to get it right. We need to get it right, man. And it's, it's scary. Uh, it's yeah. scary if they get in control of things because they're really talking about changing this country mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to gerrymander elections. Um, we saw what they tried to do with the fake electors. I think this is like a sci-fi movie, dude. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't if someone would have wrote this script ten or fifteen years ago. You, you would think it would be unbelievable. No one's going to buy oh, that. Totally. And I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought that. Um, there would really be adults really going for this. I mean, you look at the arguments that were made when Obama was president. You look at what they did to Hillary with her emails. and You look how they dragged Bill Clinton over getting little, his little thing on the side. And then um, there's no accountability at all for Trump. None. He can yeah. say ridiculous things, talk about sexual, sexually assaulting women, and they joke it off. And, uh, and I had friends trying to joke that off. And I'm going, you have daughters. I said, you mean to tell me if someone sexually assaulted your daughter in that manner, you would just go, oh, that's okay. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm shocked at the behavior that we've witnessed, you know, in the last five, six years. Yeah. Um, it's amazing, yeah. you know. But the beat goes on. <laughs> the beat goes on. Staying on schedule. Yes, sir. How do you make sure that you and your team stay on schedule and and hit those deadlines? And would you rather miss a deadline but deliver a superior project or meet the deadline but maybe compromise on the quality of of the project? 
Well, fortunately, we've been on point with our deadlines to, to have our meetings. I learned that a long, long time ago. It's better to be, uh, no, what's the guy saying? It's better to stay ready than you don't have to get ready. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I've been trying to master over the years. Because I remember going into a pitch meeting and, oh, gosh, we don't have this. Oh, gosh, we don't have that. Those days are over. When, when we sit down and talk about presentation, we have all of those things in that discussion and go right into putting all of those things together. So we're ready. You know, I even have a, I just paid for a, a maquette and I paid for the molds to make more of them because I want to start having um, some of this content ready for this uh, animated show. That's one of the things I want to have out. I want to have these maquettes out. I'm having some NFTs made right now. Um, staying ready so you don't have to get ready. Somebody, do you have any NFTs? Yes, we do. We, we have <laughs> I want to stay ready. And it's fun, you know? It's Sound, a fun process. Sounds good to me. If you were given a one-minute ad slot during the Super Bowl, what kind of content would you fill it with? Probably the animation. We'd probably do an animated uh, thing because animation's kind of quick. It's funny. Uh, the animated show is action and comedy and martial arts. So we probably do something like that, something that would catch their attention. These uh, ads have gotten kind of stale. You know, I don't remember any ads recently, which tells me that we haven't had any really, really outrageous and interesting ones in a while. So I try to get them that way with animation. Plus, animation has really, it's taken off. Hmm. It's really, really become a serious platform onto its own. Uh, on all the platforms that are out there. There's some animation going on. Uh, these animated shows are doing more. They're spending more money to get it. So I would do something down that line right now. Um, that would be my goal. So I'm going to play. Which fictional character would be the most exciting person for you to meet in real life? Um, could they already be dead? Well, it's a fictional Okay, I would I would probably say Conan. <laughs> Conan for me because you know when I was a kid I was sick. Uh, there were a lot of things I couldn't do, and I used to read those books. I used to read those novels when I was a kid, and one of the takeaways was it didn't matter where Conan was, he would go on a mission and he would get to the other side. You know, by hook whatever he had to do. Um, he was a hero by definition, man, from, from his fingertips to his toes, he would get it done. And, um, and that particular character had a huge impact on me because Conan just did what he had to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, there were times in my life when I was driving late at night, going somewhere, and I would be thinking about Conan. I said, man, this is like a Conan movie. I tell my buddy, we're driving all the way to New York. I said, we're going to New York, you know, <laughs> so Conan barefoot. Uh, you know, or he'd have a horse, but he would be on a goal and go get it. And um, that was me, you know, starting out. And still to this day, it's the same mindset. You know, I'm going to get where I need to go. Um, it may not be in the car. You know, we may be on a train or we may be on a plane, but I'm going to get to where I'm going and, uh, and make it happen. That sounds like a, a winning way, uh, a winning attitude to me. W what's the best purchase that you've ever made? Oh, Oh, gosh, man, you're making so many good. These are great questions. Huh. Starting out, the typewriter. I was able to express myself on that typewriter, man, and I've gone through about 20 of them. Um, the typewriter was. Um, 
the more contemporary best investment I would say was my computer because I do so much on it. Everything that you see, um, it allows me to connect to the world. It allows me to express myself. It allows me to earn a living. The computer was really, really important. Um, the very first one that I started making money with, uh, I would say those are the best investments. And then my education uh, in my area of expertise, you know, um, investing in taking the classes. Um, I wouldn't know the things I know if I, if I didn't invest the time uh, taking the classes and then going to places, you know, where you meet people that have an impact on you. Investing in me, I guess, would probably be the best way to, to summar, you know, summarize the whole thing. Investing in myself was probably the best investment. And that's how I kind of see it all. I was invested in myself. Mm -hmm. Sure, I had the tools to be successful. Absolutely. What's the worst purchase you've ever made? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, probably some of the vehicles that I thought were going to live through this whole journey. <laughs> and those were just once, you know, buying sports cars when it wasn't time to buy a sports car. I didn't even own a house. It's like, why would you buy an expensive sports car and you don't have a house? Because I want to drive it. You know, I want to go to a pitch meeting and, and feel good. That was a bad investment. Um, pretty much that's it. I, I don't think I've made too many. I've invested in a few people that ended up becoming bad investments that I thought mm -hmm. I was going to learn from. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that ended up being a nightmare, you know. But um, I've made good investments, though. You know, I have a lot of good investments all around me and to to base my future off of, you know. Cool. If you could travel back in time, what year would you like to relive and why? Oh, man, I'd like to go back to my childhood. I would like to go back to being what particular year. Um, the height of my asthma, because I learned how to get beyond it. And I would wonder what it would be like to have the kind of mind that I do now, mm. the research, the encyclopedias would take a whole different turn for someone like me mm -hmm. in that era. Um, I would just be a, a really outrageous person if I, if I had, if I were able to go back and uh, be able to do sports and do literature, mm -hmm. uh, it, would, it would be crazy because I, I would have done it all. I would have definitely wanted to do it all and I literally ran asthma out of my system. I started running with a track star that I went to school with. And, um, and he got into my head. And I tell you, within two months, I couldn't run a block. Hmm. This guy got in my head, man. And I tell you, in, in like two months, I was running from Altadena all the way down to the Rose Bowl. Hmm. Wow. Never, never let my parents know that I was doing it because they probably thought I was going to kill myself. But hmm. Um, I wish I knew all these things then. It would be different, but I realized I probably wouldn't have some of the same people in my life. So I probably wouldn't have my kids. I mm. probably would have probably not met my wife. You know, it, you know, wanting to do that is is like a fantasy, and it's fun to machinate on it. But then you realize everything else would have changed too. Mm, yeah, true. There's good in that, and there's also the the dark side of it. Like, oh gosh, it may have you know, uh, it may have been too much. You know what I mean? But it's fun to think about. Huh. Can you tell us uh, about this meta universe that I'm hearing so much about? Um, I'm not really into the meta universe yet. I mean, a lot of these kids are, I haven't really gotten into that just yet. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not really well-schooled in the whole metaverse thing. Um, yeah. No, no worries. Uh, 
what do you do to stay in shape? Do you have any particular exercise regime? Re- regime? I do. We, we um, uh, my wife and I invested in like some really good bikes. So I, I got a little biking outfit. I cycle. Uh, we have a gym, you know, in our patio and we train, you know, we train a few times a week. And um, uh, the biggest part of my regimen is trying to make sure I get enough sleep because if you don't get enough sleep, uh, the training goes bad and everything else goes bad along with it. And um, being a creative and an insomniac, a lifelong insomniac has been a real challenge. You know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, that's when my brain really starts to, it's the engines cranking overtime. So you're like a night person by nature. Oh man. And what I have to do because of my field, I have to change that because you got to be up in the morning to do things. So it's a marrying. Some nights I stay up late. Uh, hopefully those are nights that I'm not training the next day because when you go into your training kind of crappy, I like to train and feel good about it. And, um, and try to you were a serious like bodybuilder or weight trainer at one time weren't I you was. i was nine percent body fat and i was ripped to the bone and we lived in the gym um i was trying to earn money to go to film school and i, I just submerged myself into doing personal training and learning everything i could about all the different ways to train your body to be its best and um those were those are great times because i found out just what kind of shape I could get into. I was in great shape. I could run 15 miles. Uh, I could swim, you know, 50, 60 laps. Um, And I think being sick was what really motivated me because, you know, I had to watch my friends do all these other things when I was little and I couldn't do it. So when I got in extreme shape, man, I wanted to do it all. You know, it's like, man, these clients want to run five miles with me. And then I have these other clients that are running five miles and I ran with them, you know, so that day I would run 10, 12 miles, you know, being on the road with my clients. And then I, I remember getting in my car going, gosh, I feel so good. You know, it doesn't feel like I ran over 10 miles today. Um, and then I wanted to see how long I could run, you know, at a real steady pace. And um, it felt good. You have power when you're in that kind of shape. And uh, I'm not that extreme anymore, um, but I'm dying to fix my schedule so I can try to get somewhere back in that area. Cause I love how I felt. Hmm. I had so much body control. I could program my mind to wake up exactly that moment. Like I would set my clock for 5. AM. I would wake up at five minutes before 5. AM every morning. And I would laugh. Hmm. I look at the clock and go, ha, I'm getting ready. And then the alarm would go off and I go, I did it again. I was like, man, this is crazy. It's amazing what you can do with your mind when you hmm. work with it, when you work on it, you're, you're constantly putting something in it and making it happen. It's, it's amazing. Do you find that the discipline that it took to be a bodybuilder, uh, that has transferred into what you're doing now? I would say actually that boxing training, martial arts training and ballet were actually first. I, I did those things before I did the uh, physical training so I think uh, a combination of all of those together um, play a role in it because you can't, you can't get to the harder elements. Um, you can't change your body until you do those first things starting out and building a good foundation first, mm-hmm. like build, doing the splits. You're not just going to walk up and then just do the splits. It takes conditioning and, and constant work and effort and, um, you know, constantly training to get to the point where you can do those things 
and do them competently. And people go, wow, you do that so effortlessly. I say, yeah, I've been training for a while and now I can do it and it looks easy, but there's nothing easy about it. It's, it's all hard work. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a question for me. Uh, I need someone to build a podcast studio. I've got all the equipment. I'm wondering what kind of budget should I set aside for it? And and what should that person's background be? I mean, I'm thinking that they have to know something about cameras. They have to know something about sound. Uh, you know, I've got the green screen and 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 all that. And you know, I want to put my keyboards into it so that I can you know oh, on my keyboards as well as talk. And um, do you have any advice or suggestions for that? You almost have all of the things you need. You well, just I do have everything I need. I just need to get it all set up. I mean, as you can see. Yeah. I'm not well, really in a studio now, but I want to dedicate one whole room to just be my YouTube studio. Yeah. With the all you, all and- you, from what I've seen in your setup, all you really need is to have someone just get with you and set it up. Because most of the streamers that are doing well, they have their own setup and they log in and they go to work. It's set up. That's what I want to do. I just want to be able to turn it on and go. Sure. No, uh, what kind of person do you look for to that they can put such a thing together you call me or you call my brother <laughs> <laughs> well you know i i'm very grateful for my friends but I, also they're doing me a favor they're not charging me as much and it gets done a lot slower i want to oh i know someone where i can just say how much will you charge to do this have them do that and i pay them and it's yeah, done that's a good idea you're and you're right plus we're we're we're, we're actually really busy um, but exactly. I exactly. Thinking, I, was, I was more thinking of putting you together with um, uh, another professional I know that that does this, um, that's doing it on a regular basis, that has the time. Exactly. Someone that it's a, kind of their business or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, what I would do is try to get them to set that studio up for you, like mine is set up. It's just like I get in here and it runs. Um, very rarely do I need any help with anything here, and if I have any issues. My writing partner, Mike, was the head tech at Sony. And he's a wizard at this kind of stuff. Or I asked my brother stuff because he's another really, really good wizard. Um, and I consult with them. But uh, you need your studio to just run when you set it. You sit and you turn it on. The lights are all set to just exactly you want. Your green screen, you pre-light it so that you can put any background in that bad boy you want. Yeah. You know how to use your mic and everything. Um, and right now, Fortunately, the connectivity is so smooth. It doesn't take that much to put all of these things together now. You know, mm-hmm. you need a really good space uh, and pre-plan how you're going to set your lighting and everything up. You know, that's how I do. I sketch everything out. You know, you get your place where you're going to sit. You make sure you have a desk. Well, that's kind of what I need. I, I mean, I know I have all the components, but I just need someone to help me figure out where things should go so that everything's functional. And like I said, at the end of the day, I just want to, all I want to have to do is turn things on. Yeah. Everything's no, already set. Believe it or not, that, that'd that be easy. And I know a bunch of guys uh, who are, are freelancers. Who well, I'm going to email me, email you. And if you could shoot me their contact information and then I can just, you know, contact them. And, you know, even if I can't, you know, I have no idea what they charge, but I do have a steady job now, yeah, but so whether I can afford it today, I'll be able to afford it tomorrow <laughs> or whenever, and at least I'll know. And then when I have that, I can say, okay, let's go. <laughs> well, the, the biggest, you've already done the biggest part. If you already have your space, 
you already you're like me we already have all the stuff i've got yeah. all this stuff here i mean i could do a podcast here i've got the green screen i have two creative spaces to work from you have all the elements all you have to do is just connect them now and then yeah. be shown how to set it up so that when you come in you mm -hmm. turn your computer on you turn the lights on you can set it all up most of it you can set up on like one of those little power switches where you just click this bad boy everything is on log on your computer do a test and you're ready to go yeah. so yeah they'll make it simple for you but you've already spent the majority of the money getting all of the, the tools yeah basically it would just be paying someone to, to set everything up for me yeah you're basically hiring a consultant right yeah space and go you can set the table up here you can set your lights here and do this and do that and while he's talking about it you just do it set it up and then uh and it all comes down to the space that you have yeah my experience is all going to be related to what space you have to do this in, where you mm -hmm. want to do it, mm -hmm. and then utilizing that space, you know, to the best of your ability and making it a multifunction space. Exactly. Uh, That's I it. had to build a storage. I had I, I was building a storage and I built a storage slash studio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I need my own crib space. And then I ended up building the storage so I could eliminate my storages. But I boxed everything and now I have a storage slash studio and it's really, really cool because it's creative. Um, it's an, it's not part of the house. It's on the outside and it's it's an own entity. And um, and I have enough room for everything in there. So it's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Uh, well, any final words of wisdom that you have for our listeners, people that are interested in becoming content creators themselves? Yeah, do your research. Um, do lots of research. Um, stay passionate about what it is that you want to do and, and be ready, you know, to go the long run. It's this, this game is a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know, and life is a marathon. I mean, I'm a testament to that because I've had people tell me, how do you, you know, keep going, you know, because we've had things not work out so well, but I believe every journey has a purpose. You know, for me, I can relay how some of the journeys that seem so bad played a really great role in what's happening now. You know, that was, I learned the things I needed to learn then. And gosh, what would have happened if I ended up in a big deal and things were going and I would have to learn by making mistakes in production, you know, where there was a lot of money at stake. Um, I'm just thankful that I, I'm one of those people who just, I'm just driven. And you have to drive yourself uh, and, and really pursue, you know, those things that you want to do. Don't let anybody discourage you because every success story, those people have the same detractors and the same elements that you did. They may be different in scope, but I'm sure that they've had their share of adversity and be ready to, to overcome those obstacles because that's what builds you up. Sounds like some very sound advice to me. And before we leave, I have to thank you for my logo, which is right <laughs> there. Oh, man. You created that logo for me. It was a pleasure. I, I thank you very much. And, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. You bet, man. I thank you. You're, you're a great friend and a great talent. And um, I look forward to seeing what's next. Don't call me Corey Baker. Call me Marco Potch. Because I'm not Julia's son, not anymore. Don't call me Corey Baker. Call me Marco Potch. Because I'm not Julia's son like I was before.